0: Welcome to Between Two Chairs, demystifying commercial real estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencivia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, between two chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Well, <laughs> we'll get started for sure well welcome everybody for uh, to another episode of uh, between two chairs uh, my name is Fernando Alcivia and with me as always is the uh, globe trotting traveler that is Jennifer Woman hi Jennifer hello <laughs> how are you I'm doing great I'm
1: yeah. doing great
0: awesome so today we have a very uh, special episode to discuss something that we've been discussing. It's been a theme over the last three episodes, which really has been uh, retail. And what better time to discuss the retail than in December?
1: <laughs> right. Holiday season, shopping galore, small business Saturdays, you name it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So today we thought that we would do a uh, breakdown of retail as an asset class. We've done this before, discussing industrial and discussing office. And, uh, you know, we thought it would be a good time to kind of break down uh, retail as an asset class from the point of view of uh, the investor, those that transact in it, but also the retailers themselves, the uh, independent small businesses that occupy all these retail spaces throughout South Florida.
1: Right. And so we started with the South Florida Independent Retailer Awards, which was a couple of episodes, again, followed by the queen, the canvassing queen, queen of retail, whatever anybody in retail knows her, our interview with Beth Azor. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly recommend that you go back, listen to the Beth Azor interview, and then come back and get an overview of the retail as an asset class whether you're an investor or a broker what we're going to go over today is general but it's my favorite asset class it's the fun asset class right you deal dealing let's, let's talk about that <laughs> as
0: many of you know Florida International University has a you know real estate program they have the hollow school of real estate and uh, I remember one time uh, they were doing an event for RESA which is sort of like a council of like a student council for real estate and, and and those that are pursuing a career in real estate someone came in to do a presentation and they were from icsc the international is it the international conference of shopping centers the
1: international council, council of shopping, of shopping centers. centers Yes,
0: that's how he started the presentation is that you know i transact in fun so tell me about i know that you you get very excited about <laughs> retail so why is it the fun class
1: And it's funny because I'm not a shopper, right? Like I don't, I don't physically enjoy shopping, but I love retail. I love going to stores. I love looking at the architecture. I love looking at the layout of retail space. Um, And to me, it's fun because I I like, I do like to shop in very small individual stores. I get overwhelmed in the big shopping centers, but I, I don't know. I just love it. I love the energy. I love the fact that a lot of people consider retail and shopping like therapy. <laughs> For me, it stresses me out, but um, right. a lot of people consider it therapy. But I don't know. I just love the individuality of mm-hmm. each of the spaces, whether yeah. you're a huge store like a Macy's or what right. used to be Bloomy's or see, I don't even know the online yeah. ones anymore, but or you're a small independent mm-hmm. business. Being in the retail space really allows you to engage one on one with the consumer. And I love that. I love seeing that interaction. Plus, in retail, you have food and beverage. You have, you know, movie theaters. You have all sorts of stuff. So it's where entertainment happens. People go and hang out in in cold places. They use it as an exercise loop. And in hot places like Florida, they use it for the A.C. also for an exercise loop in the middle of summers.
0: so, if you ever get stuck trying to name a store, we have our, our our trusty sidekick Jessica. She she likes to shop. She's 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 seen a great shopping you know mall here or there, so she could always chime in. But certainly for me, it feels very much like it is the epicenter of creativity when it comes to commercial real estate Correct. is in retail. And what I mean by that is, if you are a brick and mortar store and you have a product to sell. You have worked very hard on designing that product, but then now when you are actually uh, installing or showing or showcasing that product to the public, now you have to actually build n- not only the infrastructure, but more importantly the ambiance that you want to create within, you know, four walls. You know, most of the time, uh, to be able to showcase that product. So I think that there's a layer of creativity that is there, that is very evident and is very clear to me, that doesn't show up necessarily in the office sector. It doesn't show up in industrial, it doesn't show up in multifamily to a degree. And the other part of the creativity is If you have a shopping center and you have X number of stores is the curating aspect of it. You know, I always see it almost like like a gallery would curate an art installation, you know, and it's the curation of, you know, putting all the right pieces together and the right businesses that are going to complement each other and that are going to enhance the shopping center that also requires a certain level of creativity. Lastly, the other thing that that always catches my attention about it is, How plugged in to the economy are all of the uh, those that run, manage, own shopping centers. That right. how much they have to be connected to what is happening, what are the trends. So it's not just uh, I'm a, an owner of a shopping center and you know I'm just going to list it and it's going to be X price. But now, not only do I have to curate it, but I have to be aware if I want to be very successful and I want to have a great center, I have to be very aware of what are the trends, what is happening. So I think that the reason why it's fun is because it keeps you hip. It keeps you, you know, it, hit. Right. it keeps you plugged into what's happening.
1: In, to the current culture. To the current culture. Right. Cult. And and Correct. that's why I I laugh, because the reason I can't think of some of the big names is because they've closed. Right. Bloomingdale's yeah. no longer here. Birdine's no longer here. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. that's why in those big spaces are being subdivided. But. Let's take a little step back because we said we were going to do an overview of it as an asset class. According to ICSE, they break down shopping centers into general purpose centers, specialized purpose centers, and then limited purpose property. Um, Limited purpose property is considered airport retail, now probably Brightline retail, you know, very hyper specialized. We're not going to discuss that. And then the specialized purpose centers include power centers lifestyle centers factory outlets of which we have a ton in southeast florida and then theme or festival shopping centers that are you know very leisure tourist related and might have some kind of entertainment as a unifying theme you
0: know more about the Sasa
1: class than i do so what is what 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 do they consider a power center so a power center and i'm going to read directly from their site is category dominant anchors including discount department mm-hmm. stores off-price off-price stores wholesale clubs with only a few small tenants right. and then lifestyle is upscale national chain specialty stores with dining etc right. for our purpose just because i think it's mostly what we have and what most of us right. are familiar with we're going to be focused focusing on the general purpose centers, which include super regional malls. A super regional mall is typically 800,000 or more square feet and covers 60 to 120 acres. So these are big. These are big, they have three or more anchors and then a ton of smaller, Boutique type independent yeah. shops to fill in the middles. Um, the regional mall is general merchandise or fashion oriented offerings. Mm-hmm. It typically has inward facing stores connected by a common uh, walkway. So here I would consider a super regional mall, Aventura. Dadeland falls in between super regional and regional because mm-hmm. it's around, it's right under, I think, 600,000 square feet. Yeah. Um, Aventura is is much bigger right. aventura is over Ooh, how many square feet is aventura it's
0: significant yeah it's it,
1: it's it's big um i'll get that number in a minute yeah. but it's a small um, little city. yeah no it's it's 2.8 it's right under 3 million i think with their with the expansion that they recently did i think it's Correct. like 2.8 Seven. 2.7 million thank you yeah. jessica the- jessica
0: has walked every <laughs> single one of those no, no. i'm just messing with you
1: And then the community center is um, like a large neighborhood center. It's general merchandise with um, a bunch of stuff that you would typically need in a neighborhood. So it's where you go and get your books, your electronics. It's usually the supermarket anchored, you know, the supermarket anchored. And then they normally have a drugstore in line as well. Even though recently we've been moving drugstores seem to be going to out parcels on those on those properties. And then there's the um, strip center convenience, which is If you're from Miami-Dade County, it's pretty much everything that lines US 1, right? Right. (laughs) Which is much smaller. It's a small row of stores, usually under 30,000 square feet. They don't have an anchor, and this is mostly what the small investor invests in right. that invests in retail they usually involve that or excuse me they usually invest in the start convenience size just because most of the bays are extremely standard yeah. and their shelves and it's pretty easy to go in and put in lighting a counter etc and make it retail right. for shopping or you can take out the counter and put in a little um, welcoming area and that's a medical center right? right so that's happened a lot in the strip convenience centers recently
0: What, in your experience, do investors like about this asset class?
1: About so, most of the small investors like the strip because it's need based, right? So, it's where anybody in a neighborhood goes to get. Their hair done their nails done they go out for you know i'm thinking of sunnyland right i'm thinking of the sunnyland shopping plaza it has a little bit of everything it has a small clothing store it has some small very quick fast food fast casual restaurants it has a barber shop it has a lab testing area so things that are Pretty easy to rent out again because it's yeah. needs based for the community. Also, the mortgage loans on that size investment are pretty easy to secure. Harder now just given the climate, you know, cap right. rate versus interest rate. But overall, they're small buildings. They're five thousand to thirty thousand square feet, so fairly manageable. Yeah. And usually, you get tenants in there, and the leases are a lot longer than investing Correct. in a small multi-family like you know five yeah. plex and under, yeah. you're going to have a lot less headaches. It's probably more or less all in the same price range for the lower um, density, yeah. lower number of units, multifamily with a lot less of the headache. And then again, the tenants stay a lot longer. Usually they'll do some capital improvements on the place and the leases are for a lot longer. Recently, we've seen a change from two, two, triple net leases right. so all of their expenses are also covered so it's yeah. a lot easier to manage not as easy as industrial but right still right right along those correct. lines correct and then again it's it's fun it's where people yeah. go for entertainment and the malls and retail have been getting a rad Bad rap over the last five years, people saying, oh, retail's dead, retail's dead because e-commerce is taking over. And in reality, that's not true. In reality, a lot of stores have gone from starting off as either a food truck and then they transition to bricks and mortar retail with a, with a yeah. bricks and mortar restaurant. Or they've started off like a a client of mine, Aria Rose, is a clothing and accessory store for women. And she started online and then she created this adorable space in Coral Gables just to engage even further with her community. She's now going back just to e-commerce only because she's getting ready to have her first baby. And and yeah. for her as an individual business owner, it took a lot of effort to create all of the events and everything within the retail. But she was yeah. super, super successful with it and loved it because she got to engage yeah. with her customers. She had an incredible Instagram while her clients would come in and model. I mean, she's, she's amazing um, on uh, Instagram as well. But-
0: Well, the other side of that is that, you know, we've always heard people Say that that's where the profitability lies. They're profitable centers because you know in e-commerce you have to deal with the overwhelming cost of shipping everything, sending everything out. But the brick-and-mortar stores are actually making money. They're actually profiting. I heard an investor who owns this kind of products who told me one time, you know, what I love about it is if you treat people well, if you take care of your shopping center tenants, you know, far exceed the timeline of their initial lease. You know, you usually get them to renew once or twice and they're happy there and if for whatever reason they're outgrowing, you don't have any more space for them to grow they have to go somewhere else you have a proof of concept (laughs) you know exactly that that product is going to do very well so when you go back into the market you know exactly what to look for because you know how successful successful they're going to be there and in a lot of ways very smart um, owners of this product they are always looking at tying them their their success to the success of the stores so they're looking at how are the stores going to not only survive and do well, but more, more importantly, thrive under this environment. And that's why they're so conscientious as to where everything is going to go um, and curating. Again, I know that I've overused that word. It seems to be the word of the day, but I do think that there is an intentionality in which, in which you structure the tenancies that is very important. And, and it's a very incom- important component of a successful retail center.
1: Correct. And, you know, just to go to your word, curate, I think that word is especially important. I mean, it's important in just about any type of commercial real estate, but none more than in retail, because right. you get certain businesses that feed off of each other and create foot traffic. Um, that's why some of the bigger investors like the grocery anchored, right? Because that's a destination. You have to go get groceries. What else can I put in that space that's gonna get you to shop there? While you go get your groceries, you know, if you go get your groceries, you might have to run to the post office if people still use mail letters anymore. But it's the holiday season, so I know they're mailing packages. So you have a post office. You might have some after school activity for kids. You might have an exercise facility so that the people can either go, you know, can go grocery shopping after they exercise. So it's kind of. The curation allows for multitasking when they go into a center and a lot of the individual businesses look for specific type centers like food and beverage loves being with other food and beverage. And you might think that that's counterintuitive because, well, why would you come to my, let's say, fast, casual subway shop Mm -hmm. when you, you know if you could be going for a quick sushi. Well, they're different. And if one's full and the other one's not, or if one day I feel like a sandwich and the other day I feel like sushi, it's the same demographic more or less. So that's why you know as as a business owner business owners and look for
0: that enough, you see this across you know it's easy to see it for food and beverage but you see this across industries i had a client who was looking for space for his bank i had a conversation with the ceo his explanation to me was that part of the consideration is that i want to i want to be where I am in close proximity to two other banks. They figured that there was some value, right? And they've seen it throughout the years in being in a location where there are other banking institutions that are surrounding the area. And then they're just competing for what this bank is providing versus the other. But at the at the end of the day, it kind of becomes an area where everybody knows there's a bank there. So right. they want to compete for those eyeballs. I've seen people do this. There's a reason why you see, you know, when was the last time you drove anywhere and you saw one? One mattress store. Right. You, you didn't, liar. Right. You right. saw four or five. Right. Right. <laughs> They're always all around, and and I think that there is a sense of hey, if they go to that store and they don't find what they like, they could just cross the street and go to mine. But, you know, there, there's a sense, and you see that throughout. We've spoken a little bit about the positives of owning the asset class, but what are the things to look out for? What are, what are the the issues to watch out for when you own this asset class?
1: So I think one of the things is parking always parking 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 is always an issue you and i have harped on it in every asset class so that's one if you're buying an existing retail space and you as as an investor you're buying it based on the income that's being generated by that center so you really have to look at the leases and the expenses and everything else that's related there and and the makeup, because if you have a store that's only been open for, I don't know, six months or a year, and they have a five to seven year lease with options, and they're already rocky, that's an issue. If you so read your read, 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 read every single lease top to bottom, have somebody else read the leases to make sure you didn't miss anything. Because exactly. the other thing that's in there is is in a lot of these leases, especially in grocery anchored, their exclusivities. So if you have a grocery anchored store, you probably can't put in another bakery or a cookie shop, or so you're limited in terms of what you can put in, yeah. depending on the exclusivity that you have yeah. in each lease. If you have several of those, you might be extremely limited. So um, definitely read every every single lease.
0: I think I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of exclusions there, and um, you know this leads to another conversation but sometimes something looks like <laughs> what what is supposed to be but it isn't and it's when there's been for example a zoning change so Correct. you might buy the shopping center and you might think well it's obvious there are stores here there are offices here you know I can do anything that is related to both of those sectors but if you don't dig deep into what the zoning code is actually allowing for and making sure that you have certificate of uses for everybody right. that everybody's above board and that everybody is approved to be there, those things tend to backfire later on when you're trying to make improvements to the shopping center or you're trying to fill the shopping center. I will also say that uh, for a future, you also wanna know, well, how, how much control did the owner provide to the tenants that are occupying a large percentage of the shopping center? So I'll, I'll give you an example. We, I, I was involved in a transaction in which one tenant that occupied a very small percentage of the space had a first right of refusal for the sale of the, of the property. And it became a very difficult scenario that really was totally unnecessary. You know, the, the owner had no need really to ever give that person so much power over their property procedures, you know, and, and it became compli- you know complicated totally unnecessarily. So there are little things that you find and you have to mark those and you have to see well what is the risk that I'm taking so that when you go back to the seller you can have those conversations about you know what is the value commensurate with the risk of me buying at, at X price. Right. So those things you know become important. But I think I think definitely the leasing you know reading all the leases is important, the zoning. I think that, let's talk a little bit about cost as well
1: because well before we go there one other thing that i thought of also based on a retail space that you're selling that you have listed is that so according to crexy the median year built of the retail sales that took place between december 1st of 2022 and december 1st of 2023 was 1972 right Mm -hmm. so that was the median year so and, and the lowest year was a 1920s building, right, all yep. the way up to 2021. So if you're buying an older center and you do have food and beverage, which a lot of our smaller, well, all of our centers have food and beverage lately, it seems like, and you have a grease trap, you have to make sure going back to your zoning and your yep. certificate of use that th- those grease traps are still okay and valid because putting in a new grease trap is extremely expensive and again going back to reading the leases and seeing who's responsible for what when a when an option to renew comes into place i would also be looking at that so during my due diligence i would make sure to have a very extensive review of the physical aspects of the property including within the spaces that are being leased out
0: well, let's throw out one more tip since we're in the middle of this because, you know, it's an important component. When you have a retail, a retailer going to a, a space, they go to their municipality and they get a certificate of use, which basically allows them to use the property for its intended purposes. Sometimes in the middle of that uh, year in which they are uh, approved to utilize a space for, you know, Let's say in this case a restaurant. There might be a change in the zoning code. There might be a change by uh, DERM or their local, you know, environmental protection agency that has to do with the grease trap. Now, what normally a a municipality would do is that they would say as long as the certificate of use is updated, right, uh, the certificate of use is renewed, it never lapses, then you can basically grandfather in the current use that you have, even though... You know, moving forward, new rules will require you to build or uh, modify your grease trap. Once that certificate of use lapses, and it and it lapses for more than a year, then you lose that right. You know, and. The cost of a certificate of use is a few hundred bucks, and so it can be extremely costly to not maintain that certificate of use. So it's important when you have uh, when you own this, and all of a sudden the tenant leaves, for you to work to keep the certificate of use active uh, throughout. So you know just a little tip there, of little things that you learn along the way. What what? Th- let's talk about the cost of when you are um, talking to a tenant, especially their. Ten- taking a significant space, they're always going to want to get a credit for uh, the build out that they're going to do to the space. And of course, anything that they have fixed to the the property is going to be owned by the owner of the center. Explain to people about what is TI and how usually landlords break down that that initial investment.
1: So TI is tenant improvements. And as Fernando just described is kind of how you build out the space to suit your own needs and Usually the landlord will give a certain dollar per square foot amount for tenant improvements depending on the length of the lease. Obviously the longer the lease, the more they'd give out. Um, We were just at the South Florida Independent Retailers Awards and very few of the landlords there were willing to do TIs just because retail is in such demand right now. So it really does depend on the market the the slower or weaker the market is for a landlord, obviously the stronger it is and more negotiating power the tenant has to get that. Also, I think the quality of the tenant has a little bit more negotiating power. True. Depending on how badly a landlord wants your specific use or your specific company in their space, right. they'd be more willing to give on that for a longer term lease. I Just think
0: they also do- look at the investment of doing the investment now, but knowing that- that will remain that used for very, for many many years and how they amortize that cost correct so if it's a five-year lease then they'll they'll know well there's a certain amount that i'm willing to give that takes up a certain number of months of the lease so that there's a break even month <laughs> you know correct. which you know in some cases might be the 13th month it might be the eighth month and then after that then you know every everything that's coming in is incredible you know profits to the to the center
1: Correct. And I just wanted to put it in perspective. The reason so many landlords, even though they can amortize, so many retail landlords are not giving TI is because the current vacancy rate is and has been since 2022, according to NAR's uh, commercial third quarter for 2023 report, the vacancy rate is at 3% for Miami-Dade, Fort Lauderdale, and Palm Beach. That is that is extremely low. The market rents oh, are uh, you know $44 a square foot. And in a lot of places like the Design District, Wynwood, Coral Gables, downtown, yeah. significantly higher than that. Um, and the market rent is continuing to grow. And a lot of that has to do just that a lot of older retail has been torn down for mixed-use development, and uh-huh. we're not building a lot of new retail. I,
0: I want to also say something that I find really interesting about this asset class, especially when we're talking with young commercial practitioners you know, that are entering into the industry. W- would you say that retail is one of those asset classes that is, in, in a way, the the easiest to learn or to immerse yourself with? Uh, or you think that that is an exaggeration?
1: I, I wouldn't say it's the easiest because every single use requires something different, right? Well, so if you put medical and retail space, your requirements right. are totally different than if it's just a dry goods clothing store, which is right. totally different than if you put in food and beverage. So even right. within, within one strip mall, you can have yeah. totally different requirements for each individual space. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it's the easiest, it's definitely the most fun because every use is again completely different.
0: The um, the reason why I was asking this question is I I once was a part of a conversation where this was debated and and this was the point that was made which is that we we've all gone to offices most most mostly medical offices, right? Unless you're in the industry, very difficult to for you to say I visited a lot of industrial warehouse space, right? Unless you're working on industrial, you know, something like that. You know, multifamily is is one of those things. You're not just going to walk into a 100-unit multifamily and start walking into, the you know, uh, units and checking them out and all that stuff. You're not going to walk into a 100,000-square-foot, you know, uh, industrial distribution center and be able to just walk around and check it out. Main. But you could walk to any retail and you can learn about what is trending and what is ch- the changing dynamics of retail anytime that you want to.
1: I right, guess in terms in terms of use, you would be right, right? Because yeah. you just you can literally sit down at a strip mall and people yeah. watch and see who's coming. You can see traffic and everything okay. else. But in terms of transacting in it, right. I would say multifamily or office are much easier because it's a sure. single use, right? Yeah. Multifamily, you're only going to be renting to not people no. who are renters. and right. And if you're an office building, not medical, but just yeah. an office building, it's kind of cookie cutter yeah some is going to be bigger square footage some is going to be smaller square footage but if the zoning allows office any office can go in there right right? maybe not medical but that's why i'm saying excluding medical and in residential any tenant can go into that building whereas in the shopping center depending on the use not so much so I guess it's a twofold yeah. answer right
0: so let me ask you this uh, as we're getting to the end of the episode but let's talk a little bit about what trends are you seeing in retail you know one things that I find really interesting as you know we're very close to De la mall um, today when we're recording this and to me there is a, a very interesting dynamic that has been happening all around in in shopping malls and shopping centers which is bringing the inside to the outside right it it, it seemed to be that a lot of the malls have a very Las Vegas casino mentality you know we want them in there and we want them stuck inside you know we just want them walking inside but now with the advent of moving into a more of an entertainment food and beverage approach more experiential uh, you know uh, retail there seems to be this move where all of a sudden you have these areas that are very accessible from the exterior instead of having to go inside the mall and walk around long long places to actually get to a place, especially if you're driving by, you know, not not very long ago, you wouldn't not be able to see the front of a restaurant outside of De Lamont. Right. Everything right? was inside. Everything was before, inside. So. And now everything and now you have a rooftop and you have, you know, that that experience has really, really shifted and is very evident as you're as you're going by.
1: That's a really interesting point. So I think what's happening is as the dynamics of retail changes And what we're especially seeing in South Florida is most of the regional and super regional malls are becoming more lifestyle centers, and a lot of them are being converted. So to your point, Dadeland Mall used to be a huge square box, right? (laughs) And you would... Only be able to see what was in it by walking, you know, parking and going inside the mall. Now they've added a whole restaurant section and they were brilliant in doing this because what they did is get people like me who wouldn't normally go to the mall to be able to go just for eating. So they have a whole separate level. You park, you never go into the mall and you can hit all of their restaurants without ever stepping foot in the mall. And they have outdoor terraced seating. They have very, and that also allowed them to drop more upscale bigger sure. chains and stuff right. they also added a hotel so they used to have i think they mm-hmm. still do a lot of south american uh, travel agents put yeah. together packages where they put together flights hotel and shopping excursions and the right. shopping excursions usually include dadeland aventure and sawgrass mills and then so having a hotel there is perfect now just sure. think of I, I would be advertising if i were them yeah. which i'm sure mm-hmm. they do Um, to all of the people, the travel agents in South America, because now they have this brand new hotel there. Um, Another one that's starting to change and, and becoming more of a lifestyle center is the falls right so the falls is this great concept it's a total open area mall they were never one of those that just closed in the middle of the mall is open air and it's all waterfalls and it's relaxing it's a place i love to go whether i shop or not just to stroll around because it's it's relaxing and they put in the lifetime center um, a big gym it's forty thousand square feet they're going to have an outdoor beach and pool which they're still developing so they're doing that southland mall got sold and is being redeveloped into a mixed-use lifestyle center and that's brilliant because now you're creating your own like micro community within the community. So yes, you're still going to be drawing from the external suburban neighborhoods into these lifestyle centers for the dining and the movies and shopping and everything else. But if you add residential to it, you're now creating a space where somebody can literally live, work and play and not leave that micro community right yeah. so we're, we're seeing more of that the southland mall is a billion dollar redevelopment of right. 80 acres i'm super excited to mm-hmm. see what that looks like and then what and happened, there, sure.
0: there's a multifamily component to Correct. it. I mean, it's it's, it's quite the mixed-use project that Correct. we're going to see developed there, and uh, in an area that can really benefit from it, you know.
1: Yeah, it's awesome for residential too because um, it's yeah. South Dade, which is expanding rapidly, and that mall was dead because right. it didn't have. For as big as it was, it didn't have the demographic and the density right. to make it viable because it's such a huge. You know, it's eighty acres yeah. and it was really spread out. Kind of with the parking, it was a little bit weird. Right. The parking was more like in the middle. There was a little bit of parking on the outside, and then the shops yeah. were kind of this block square. Right. Um, so it yeah that it didn't work very well. But I'm I know it's going to be super successful, and then. Aventura Mall, which is the third largest uh, mall in the United States, when they redid it, when, when did they redo it? They, I wanted to say that they kind of wrapped it up around 2017, yeah. 2016. Yeah. But wow, talk about how they redid it. I mean, huge entertainment value, tons of top-notch restaurants, a lot of very high-end um boutiques and shops, but a lot of fun shops, a lot of public art in the spaces. So again, you know, the stereotypical is the woman likes to shop and the husband just gets dragged along and is bored stiff. But in this case, everybody can go there and have a a great time. There's so much going on in that mall. They have a great
0: movie theater as well. And there seems to be very intentional in the way that they, to me, they created almost quadrants. So there's a way for you to go to one quadrant and have dinner or go to the movie theater, you know, do a little bit of shopping, but you don't have to actually walk the entire mall to just experience that quadrant of the mall, you know, because you're going there for that purpose. Very, very well done.
1: And the other thing I just want to talk about really briefly, because I know we're running out of time and I feel like we totally neglected it, but it's the freestanding retail. And, you know, Barry Wolf is the king of triple net lease sales and everything else and fast, casual dining, all of these single independent stores also help create the fabrics and of the neighborhood. And I'm thinking specifically of the design district in Wynwood. Right. They don't have strip centers. They don't have regional malls. Every single building is its own space or it's part of a mixed use project. But in the design district, every single building is a retail building, and I I love that. To me, that creates a much more sense of a neighborhood. Yeah, it's um, much more intentional and their curating is extremely important. And I think the design district, they did an amazing, amazing job developing that as now an area that people never used to go to. It used to be like the design, literally the design district, right? It's if you needed plumbing or you needed furniture or you needed yeah. tiles you would go right. to the design district and now it is literally a destination yeah. to go and enjoy with tons of amazing restaurants and and of everything. course
0: we're we're entering the Art Basel yeah. uh, phase of Miami which uh, you know it's it's its own season probably the design district gets a big chunk of that uh, of and that, and that attention uh, yeah. and Wynwood and I remember when they were re adapting the small bay warehouses that were on what we call hard corners, major thoroughfares in Wynwood into retail, you know, and they were opening it up and, you know, all of a sudden you have the Ducati store there and you have, you know, all these other, all these other great funky stores that are, that are popping up. And, you know, that was an area that not too long ago was a lot of people would not visit it for entertainment or for, for shopping or for anything like that. And, and now it has totally shifted. So a big shout out to the Goldman family for, uh, for starting that, that rehabilitation and, and the growth of, uh, of Winwood.
1: And I want to do one shout out to a store called Reformation. And thank you, Corinna. My daughter introduced me to this store. It's a clothing store for women, and it's in the design district. And it's so cool because it's not my typical shopping experience. You go in there, you look everything. You can pull down this computer screen that's touch friendly. You walk into these beautifully lit changing rooms. You can change the lighting in the changing room. And you they, they don't put your clothing on a hanger. They put it you put it inside a closet. And then miraculously, somebody comes in and puts either the smaller size, the larger size, whatever piece that's similar into the closet and removes it. So you never have anybody knocking on the door going, (laughs) hello, can I help you? Can I have it? But it's a super cool concept. So I wanted to it was just an interesting experience for shopping there. So do you have your fun fact?
0: You know, we're, we're always monitoring this because I think it's, you know, infinitely interesting to people and also because, uh, you know, it's it's that time of year. So we have seen uh, holiday sales to increase between seven and nine percent over 2022. So just to give you an idea that we are (laughs) we are at 900. So the increase that is uh, that is expected is from 957.3 billion dollars to 966.6 billion dollars. And that is uh, an increase from the sales in 2022 were at 929.5 billion dollars in sales. So you know numbers Yeah, 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 absolutely. There's an average of $875 that is spent on gifts, food, decorations, and other seasonal items. One thing that I found really interesting as I was looking at the stats is that Generation Zers are the top Black Friday shoppers. Wow. So I don't even know what a Generation Zer is. So, you know, (laughs) that's something to learn every day. (laughs) How about you, my friend?
1: So for me, my stat is going back to the Aventura Mall, is their slide. So going into entertainment, they built a 93-foot tall slide. It was built by Karsten Haller, a German... Um, architect and it's 93 feet tall made out of steel and glass and you can jump in there and slide down
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it talk about experiential right uh yeah (laughs) i'd go to aventura for the slide probably (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly i love aventura as well we we love it we love it all right everybody well thank you again for joining us on another episode of uh between two chairs we're we're getting close to the end of the year i just want to say that we have uh a little special raffle coming up in uh, our last episode of the year so uh, you know listen for that uh, we have a little little nice giveaway for you all uh, we appreciate everyone who listens to uh, the episodes and who sends us little comments it's always a little surprising to us when somebody tells us that they they listen to an episode or a few <laughs> episodes so you know we feel great about it and we we really are very appreciative so thank you guys until, until next time. time all right Bye. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. (laughs)